The Truth News Network. Election season and the lies are flying. He's going to suspend election. He's going to put people in gas chambers. He's going to turn off the internet. He's going to lock up his political opponents. Meanwhile, he is facing a possibility of spending the rest of his life in prison for things we've seen video evidence proving that FBI agents were the instigators of for political gain. And the press? Give me a break. So where do you turn to get the real story? You turn to TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. We're trying. We're looking. (laughs) We're researching. We're deep into everything that is moving, which it is moving every day, everything in our government. Nothing seems normal. Nothing is normal. Everything seems like it's always up in the air. Do you realize this is an election year? We have a big election coming up November 5th. We're going to change presidents or we're going to keep the guy that's in the White House right now. We don't know. Both houses of the United States Congress are in play. This is probably, and maybe we say this every two years in the big election, you know, the uh, federal office elections every year president every four years, but we say it every election. This may be the most important election in American history. And here we are, what are we, nine months away from an election? We don't have a clue who's going to run for president on the Democrat ticket. Now, wait a minute. Joe Biden's already announced he's out there. He's running, right? That is something that might be an option if he does run. I still say this. I've said it before he was inaugurated. He will not finish his first term as president. And if you watch and listen and pay attention every day, we know factually his keepers are hiding things from him, from us, about him and his cognitive decline so far. As we get closer to November 5th, Democrats are going to realize We can't win with this guy. The American people don't want him as president, and they don't think he can do it, and we don't either. So what are we going to do? Well, that and much, much more is up in the air today at TNN Live, and I'm glad you started the week with us here today. We're going to dig through, which is what we've been doing off and on and all weekend. A lot of things happen when we shut down our business and our public life on the Friday afternoon every week. The world keeps spinning. That means evil, corruption, misunderstanding, wars, hatred, anger. It all goes on. It never has a spigot that turns off. None of those things take a weekend off. Just you and me, right? Well, got a big announcement for you. We're going to do the first thing this morning, but we're going to relax just for a minute as we head to Helter Skelter about where we stand today always good to do. It's always easy to do with the Carpenters, one of the biggest hits ever. Superstar. Enjoy this. Back in three minutes. Long ago and oh so far away I fell in love with you Before the second show Your guitar 
gets here, you're going to be looking for some relaxation because it's just about to begin in a fury on Washington, D.C. Across across the Potomac, nobody will go unscathed with the furor that is about to happen out there. A little bit of it we're going to get into, but what's happening now 
is we're in a political season. And so during those times, especially when they're very contentious, and it seems like every election, every two years, there's all kind of stuff at stake for the upcoming election. Never before like this. And so what happens when candidates get in the races, they begin, almost all of them, they begin kind of benign, being positive. Oh, you know, I'm going to help you. We know what you're dealing with. We know where you're hurting and why. We're going to fix this. We're going to fix that. But then typically, even before the big primaries begin, Super Tuesday, which is up and coming, before that gets here, they seem to switch into a lower gear. And then they begin to attack each other, all their opponents. And they start throwing darts. Many of them stick. Many of them miss. Many of them are true. Sadly, most of them are not. Most people that run for national office, if they've got a horrible situation or two or even three or four going on in their lives that will be exposed when they run, most smart people anyway that are considering being a candidate, they just won't run. But nowadays, it doesn't seem to matter. You know why? We have one party, one of the two big parties in the U.S., where corruption within their own party doesn't matter. They'll help each other cover it up. Of course, I'm talking about the Democrat Party. On the other side of the aisle, more and more, we find out there are Republican candidates that have a lot of dirt, a lot of classified information next to their Corvette in the garage. You know what I mean. And here's one thing that every voter, every American needs to understand. This nation was founded on the fundamentals of God. I don't care what the left wants to say, it was. Our forefathers knew that when they started this trek across the Atlantic, they had no idea what was going to happen to them. Would they be able to create a nation? Would they be able to survive? Would England follow them and try to kill them all for leaving the UK, which wasn't even in existence then. It was just England. All of those questions, here we are, a couple of hundred, 220, 230, 240 years later, we're still asking some of those questions. But we know a lot of things for certain now. We do know the fundamentals that they founded this nation on, they work. You know how I know that? Well, since that time, This country is one of the only countries that is a government by the people, of the people, and for the people. The only one on the earth that has lasted. Why is that? Because tyranny and top-down government, top-down government, and those that love those ideologies, they can't live with a really representative republic or a democracy of any kind where the people are in charge. They can't do it. They tell us they want to serve us when they're running for office, don't they? We want we want to serve you. We want to help you in everything you do. And I'm sure at some point, in the, maybe deep down in their heart, they really want to do that. And probably at the beginning of their campaign, they, they said it and meant it. But then reality begins to set in. You may have heard me tell this story. But uh, in a state election, gosh, it must have been 20, 
21, 22, maybe even 23 years ago, a longtime friend of mine, actually, that had been in the uh, United States House of Representatives, and then when he termed limited out there, he ran for the Louisiana Senate. And uh, when that happened, when he was going to leave the House, a bunch of politicians in this area and very famous, well-known, good businessmen, four of them walked into my office one day unannounced. Receptionist told me I went out and greeted them and they wanted to talk to me. So we came back to my office and sat there. And he was one of them. I'd, I'd give you his name, but I don't want to embarrass him. He also ran for governor here in Louisiana. Good guy, really good friend of ours, he and his wife. And he was a great servant when he was in the uh, the state house and uh, as a representative and as a senator. But he was term limiting out of the house and he was going to flip over and run for Senate, Northwest Louisiana. They needed somebody to replace him in the House, the Louisiana House of Representatives. And I was I was in my um, late 30s, I guess, then. That'd be about right, maybe early 40. And I was a young guy. They were much older than me. And they said, look, you're, you're our guy. We want you to run. We will back you. We will raise any money that needs to be raised. You've got the same ideas that Robert, the guy that I said his name. I wasn't going to say his name anyway. Um, you got the same ideas in governing that he does. And you're well-known. People know you, even though you've never been in government. We want you to be the candidate to replace him in this upcoming race for the House of Representatives in Louisiana. And I looked at him and thought for maybe a minute, I just said, look, guys, you don't know how overwhelmed I am that you would even consider me. I am so honored. I have so much respect for you guys and what you've done. Robert and our government, the rest of you in business here, had an educator. Uh, Superintendent of schools was one of the four that came in. And I said, but I can't do it. And they were shocked. Why can't you do it, they asked. I said, it's real simple. I can't rate. I don't have the money. I just, my company had just been founded and was really doing well. But like most small companies do, the money that you make, you need more infrastructure. You need more people. So you put back into that company for a period of years, creating a big foundation that works and you want it to continue. The worst thing you can do is run out of cash. And so I, it didn't take me long to think about it. I declined their offer and I did it for this reason. Here's the way politics works at every level. When somebody supports you in a race, I don't care if it's $5, 500 5000 half a million dollars. I don't care what the number is. It's not so much the number as it is the process. Because if I take a dollar from you to help me run for office and I win that office, you're going to call me sometime. And I want to take your call. Maybe I'll take your call because you've been a friend. Maybe I'll take your call because you contributed to a campaign to put me in office. I'm obligated to you. And I would listen to you, no doubt about it. I would listen to anybody. But I'm going to feel always in the back of my head, what does he want from me? He's not reaching out to me to ask me how I'm, 
I'm, I'm, how I'm doing, if I'm feeling good, if everything's okay. No, there's some reason that person is going to call, and I'm going to be obligated to listen. Maybe I have the, uh, the power and the strength just to listen, but there's always going to be this thought in the back of my mind. If I want to do this again, I'm going to have to run again, meaning campaign. And the guy on the other end of the phone, he knows that. I did not, and I still never want to get into that situation. I don't want to feel obligated. Now, if I had enough money, I didn't need any campaign dollars, and I felt like God wanted me to run for an office, I'd do it in a heartbeat. And in the past, there have been a lot of people that felt that exact same way. Rush Limbaugh, I couldn't believe he voiced that shortly after I did. People were after him to run for federal office. And he told them just what I just told you. I'd feel obligated. And I don't want to go there. I want to be able to be honest and forthright with every part of my life, with every person I come in contact with. I certainly couldn't do that without ever having that hanging over my head. If it's only just mentally and emotionally, I want to fulfill every obligation I can. And life's about reaping and sowing, right? What you put in the ground, that's what's going to grow. I never wanted to get that stuff into my heart. Now, politics on its own is not evil. But a lot of people, most people, many people that get involved in it, they don't feel that way. So I got to go with what my uh, conscience tells me. We all do. And I think that's just being smart. Well, what do we get into today? Well, Jim Biden is back in the news. Jim Biden, the president's younger brother. Some more news and information has come out about something of, that happened with Jim and Jim's life that it looks like it reached out to big brother Joe. Jim through his career in the private sector, he often talks about his brother Joe, about his name, and how people could use Joe Biden's name to promote a healthcare company in this case. And uh, this healthcare company that Jim came after Joe to get involved in, it is allegedly engaged in massive Medicare fraud. That's according to Politico. Now, Politico. They are a hardcore leftist traditional legacy news outlet. They will not say or publish one story that's positive for a Republican because they're in the tank for the left. So one would think Politico wouldn't report this about Jim and Joe Biden, but they did. Biden's name appeared in the investor materials and internal communications when this business was being put together alongside some of the top leaders and executives at our company, big company AmeriCorps, which is a hospital operator. It sought to invigorate health care in rural areas. And at least three members of the Biden family did work with the company. Now, this is according to an investigation conducted by Politico. Jim Biden frequently brought up his brother's names when he was pitching prospective investors in the company and which wired Jim Biden $200,000. 
before he transferred the same amount to Joe Biden in 2018. Remember that? They said it was a loan, no loan documentation, no emails, text, or anything that confirmed or even mentioned that 200000 being a loan. Jim wrote this to a guy named Jonathan Brenner, the CEO of a Tampa area company that already had licensing rights to a new cancer treatment. And Jonathan Brenner at the time was consulting for AmeriCorps. This would be a perfect platform to expose my brother's team to your protocol. That's what Jim wrote to Jonathan. Could provide a great opportunity for some real exposure. Politico, by the way, didn't uncover any evidence to suggest that Joe took any steps to earn anything or get any benefit from the firm or became involved in AmeriCorps' operations. Apparently, he never did. But anonymous AmeriCorps execs told Politico Jim had discussed putting Joe on the company's board and that Joe's political career could have benefited if the company was successful and improved health care in the rural regions of the U.S., So today, today, this is the first time you've heard this story, I guarantee you. Federal investigators are actively probing an alleged $100 million Medicare fraud involving AmeriCorps. The DOJ alleges that the company's hospital in Pennsylvania entered into phony agreements and gave kickback payments as part of a broader conspiracy that charged the government for unnecessary testing. And by the way, I know that hospital in Pennsylvania, I had in my company, we had a big contract with them for many years. It's in downtown Philadelphia. Just thought I'd say that. There were also discussions about potentially giving Joe a stake in the company, but those talks, they never materialized. One person, one person who Jim Biden pitched about AmeriCorps, remembered Jim saying, that his brother was in the car with him while he spoke. The individual on the receiving end of the call told that to Politico. They even had a memo, a draft version of a presentation that was meant for investors, included a slide that outlined AmeriCorps' management, listing Jim Biden just below the company's CEO. Jim's biography describes him as, quote, the brother and campaign finance chair of President Joe Biden with a tremendous network of contacts across healthcare, real estate, technology, international unions, federal agencies, specifically with the Veterans Administration, also post-traumatic stress and the insurance industry. My family could provide a wealth of introductions and also business opportunities at the highest level that I believe would be worthy of the interest of His Excellency, Jame wrote that in a 2017 draft letter intended for Khalid Sultan Al-Rabban of the Qatar Investment Authority. On behalf of the Biden family, I welcome your interest here. However, efforts to secure Qatari capital didn't pan out, and AmeriCorps subsequently collapsed as its existing financial problems intensified. The company's failure had big, big human costs, including missed payments to hospital employees and diminishing service for patients. I was sold that AmeriCorps was going to be the salvation of rural hospitals. That's from a former AmeriCorps executive. 
which granted the source anonymity to discuss the matter candidly. The whole thing was a scam, and it didn't take that long to figure it out. Jim paid $350,000 to sell out a lawsuit alleging that he played a role in AmeriCorps' demise. I hadn't heard of a single outlet other than Daily Caller even mention this. Well, let's switch gears. Let's talk for a second about uh, our southern border issues. And isn't it a shame (laughs) that we have to talk about it because nothing's being done about it? So what's happening now? States around the U.S., states where the Biden administration is just dropping off a bunch of illegals and forcing towns and cities and states to underwrite taking care of those people with no help from the feds. Guess what is happening now? A spokesperson said that money coming from the government Going to New York, Democrat New York Governor Kathy Hochul's administration has quietly changed their state's safety net assistance program eligibility rules. Now, what is that all about? Well, they're going to allow non-citizens who have pending applications for asylum, they're going to give them money, benefits, making thousands of migrants eligible for those payments. The move was made through the state's Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance, which sent a message to social service agencies in the state, though the agency would not say how many migrants are currently getting that money. So, reach for comment by one news outlet. A spokesperson for the governor said just a small portion of the $4.3 billion the governor set aside for the migrant crisis has been used for those payments. Estimating that about 90% of the current migrant population in the state won't be eligible for these benefits under the new rules. So at the request of New York City, that agency made a technical update to allow a little percentage of migrants to get certain additional support and compliance with state and federal law. But the report notes that over 173,000 migrants have made their way to New York since 2022, meaning that if 10% of them were receiving payments, it would amount to about 17,000 recipients in New York City alone. Now, migrants only qualify for the payments if they completed their paperwork to apply for asylum status and can only use the checks, which total hundreds of dollars a month, to pay for rent utilities, clothing, or other necessities. Michael Cracker, the chairman of the Erie County Republican Committee, he said digital payments are deeply offensive to hardworking New Yorkers, many who are struggling too. He pointed out that some of those who are struggling are homeless veterans who, he argued, are looking for help from their state. Their state is choosing instead to provide assistance to these individuals, many of whom are ultimately going to be found to be in this country illegally. So the revelations of these payments, they were slammed by Rep. 
Nicole Maliotakis, a Republican from New York in the House, she argued that that they served as another way to attract migrants, another magnet to New York, while lower and middle-class natives of the city are struggling to make ends meet. You have people from all over the world coming to New York to take advantage of all these left-wing programs the governor, the mayor are implementing, while at the same time they're clobbering taxpayers over the head. The policy was also criticized by Democrat City Councilman Robert Holden, who said the endless handouts to the whole world are a slap in the face for every citizen who's contributed to and sacrificed for this country. So I ask you, why, why are they pushing for this? Why are they pushing for this so hard? This is not accidental. Joe Biden did not remove all of the Trump southern border plans and policies that were put in place that were working better than they have ever. That's according to experts at the southern border. Even Democrats in the Border Patrol will say Joe Biden shouldn't have torn up anything that was going on. It was working. The only reason he did it was for political gain in his own political party. None of the stuff that Biden has implemented is working. There's even more, the Green New Deal that he jumped all in. It's not working. We said from the beginning, we're not experts in the climate stuff and anything to do with energy. We're not experts. But we're consumers who have consumed all of the things that fall out of public life that are pushed down our throats by members of Congress, also our state and local legislative people. It just seems like only the bureaucrats in the nation are supporting this stuff. Oh, they have a handful of people out there, mostly the top 5% of the income makers in the United States. They're all in for it. Why? Because they've got so much money they don't care and it sounds like a good cause. We want to make our climate better. They never even mention the fact that the United States of America since 2000 every year has reduced its global stuff that we have to keep out of our air. You name it. We've reduced it every year and every year we've reduced ours more than any other country on the planet. But yet, if you listen to the White House and his minions that go everywhere screaming and hollering about, the sky is falling, sky is falling, we've got to stop this climate change craziness. Well, they say the climate change craziness is because Americans are saying, we can't go down that road. We can't afford to go down that road. And you guys or working on something that feeds just a simple group of people that have everything they need and have access to anything they need they don't have, that doesn't illustrate an average American in today's United States. People are struggling to make ends meet. And Biden continues to just keep doubling and tripling down. And he thinks he's doing the right thing. And he tells everybody, he, I'm doing the right thing. You know how I know that? Because I'm Joe Biden. And Joe Biden is the president of the United States. And he's going to beat that crazy orange man one more time in November. 
The stupidity is everywhere, and it keeps getting worse. You're going to hear a little bit more about that, so buckle in. That's next. Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Mm. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a bud. You've earned it. This bud's for Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Great shadow legends. I mean, wow. <laughs> you pick your champions. They're glorious. And their shields, oh, they glisten like... Uh, wet otters but the bad guys they're lovecraftian they're spooky they're um um big and then you go to battle and it's like then finally your foe is vanquished and that satisfaction such a primal feeling Ooh! download raid shadow legends play for free welcome to mcdonald's may i take your order hi can i get a can i get a get in the mcdonald's Ooh, can i get a can i get a yeah can i get a uh, go, Bubba, go! Uh, pick me! No, pick me! Hey, can I get a... 10-piece uh, chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand is Dan Newman. Well, the clowns had to get a bigger car. The car they were driving in and stuffing clowns in, it's not big enough anymore. So they got a uh, uh, a big bus. <laughs> They're driving around doing the same stuff. This is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. And it just seems like when we think it can't get worse, well... The next day, it gets worse. What happened here? Whoa. Hang on just a second. Let me figure out what's going on here. Oh, there we are. I couldn't figure it out. Pushed a button by accident. But um, anyway, I need to give everybody a little heads up. I told you we were going to make a big announcement today. And it's not that big. I um, if you If you're... Uh, on our email list, you'll automatically get a link to any day's story during the wee hours of the morning. You got yours this morning. And the notice of what I'm going to tell you about right now is there. It will be at the top of our stories every day this week. It's no big deal. It's just this show, this show is not going to be aired Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. And I'm going to tell you why. We're not doing anything with the show. Everything is cool. Everything is okay. 
as soon as we sign off of this show today, I'm headed to the hospital and I'm having a reverse full shoulder replacement surgery. Reverse complete shoulder replacement surgery. Now, that sounds kind of mysterious. It's not new. They've been doing it for a number of years, but it really, it started in France. And instead of, you know, when you're an athlete, which I used to be, (laughs) I haven't been in a long time, uh, or you're physical at what you do, sometimes you do stupid things and bad things happen. Well, a a series of things developed, and I won't get into the nitty gritty, but there's only one element in my right shoulder that is kind of in in place and okay. That's my rotator cuff. Now, that's one that normally causes, gets torn up, and it causes surgery. Everything else in my shoulder is torn up. I can hang my right arm down and just kind of hold on to my side and pull, and my shoulder, my arm comes out of socket. That's not painful, but that's just to illustrate how bad it got over a period of years. All that being said, it's going to be good. I'll be out of the saddle. You know, I'm right-handed, so all the stuff that we do in the studio requires working on commuters, computers, putting things in the computer, uh, dropping stuff into a particular file for this show. And I've been practicing for a couple of weeks doing it left-handed. And I can do most of it left-handed. But uh, it's going to be difficult, but we'll be back in the saddle. Now, let me say this. I'm, I'm giving you information that we won't be here tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Back in the saddle Monday. If the physical stuff, the aftermath of this, allows it, I'll just tell you this. I'll be back on the show tomorrow. I don't think I will. <laughs> as soon as soon as I can do it, I'm going to be back because this is this is important to me. I think if you know me, especially those listening that know me, you know that when I do something, I'm all in. My wife, who I know is listening, she'll tell you I do everything all in. If I get involved and get where I make a commitment, I'm going to do it. And that's what this is about. Truth News Network, the website, and TNN Live is about that commitment. And I knew when I went into it. In fact, Mike Johnson, Congressman Mike Johnson, he had a uh, a local talk show when he was a member of the U.S., not the U.S., but the uh, Louisiana House of Representatives. And he did a show, and when I told him, he said, how long are you gonna do, is the show going to be? I said, I'm going to do it two hours. He said, oh, my God. You think you'll have enough material? And I said, Mike, look at the world around us. There's enough information and stuff out there that people need to hear and know about it. We could do a four-hour show every day. And he said, yeah, you're right about that. So he was one of the first people in politics that went all in on this show. I hate it, and he does too, that when he became House Speaker, his time is so limited. If I want to do an interview with him on this show, how many times does he come? 20? I don't know. Formerly, it was every month, and then we got down to every third week, he came. I just call his cell phone. And he would immediately switch me over to his handler to make sure 
She got it on his schedule. We never had an issue. He let me know after he became the House Speaker, if you want to do an interview, you have to call the White House. It has to go through the Secret Service. <laughs> so um, it, it, we've we've exchanged text a couple of times, and uh, this just kind of illustrates how important this stuff is. And there are so many moving parts. That first story we talked about today, nobody knew about that. The second story, nobody knew about that. Mainstream legacy media, they want to talk about things that help their candidate. And we all know who their candidate in this race is. It's not just Joe Biden. It's any Democrat that may end up replacing him. They do not want a Republican in the White House ever again. Why? Because Republicans mess up their deals. What kind of deal are you talking about, Dan? Well, let me illustrate. Guess what's happening to Uncle Joe? He's getting major, major pushback from big money donors and they're throwing more money at him because he's promising them one thing. What do you think he's promising them? He's going to reverse the direction he's gone down regarding electric vehicles. The Biden administration is throwing their electric vehicle mandate into reverse due to election year pressures. Remember when this was Team Biden's favorite tune? First crack at the new and different jobs for electric vehicle. This sucker's quick. How does does it drive? The future is electric, moving toward it at lightning speed. Thousands of union workers here and across the country are building the vehicles of the future, the batteries that will power them, and the chargers that will support them. Not so fast, Mayor Pete. Under pressure from the United Auto Workers Union, who withheld their endorsement of Biden until he caved on this, the Biden administration is set to slow their electric car mandate for manufacturers. The New York Times reporting the change comes as President Biden faces intense crosswinds as he runs for reelection. While trying to confront climate change, he's aiming to cut carbon dioxide emissions from gasoline powered vehicles. At the same time, Mr. Biden needs cooperation from the auto industry and political support from unionized auto workers. Now, Jason, even with all the tax incentives, sales of electric vehicles are down 10 percent, even in California. How is it possible to mandate that 67 percent of all cars sold in the U.S. will be electric vehicles by 2030. How's it possible? It's not possible, Raymond. I mean, the the mandates are just untenable. There's no possible way you can get there. You don't have the infrastructure in this country. Now, remember, Biden pushed the so-called American Rescue Plan, which had $350 billion run by who? One of the brother of one of the biggest (laughs) lobbyists, Mr. Podesta, there in Washington, D.C. Who knows where that funny money's going and what they're doing. But to build out the infrastructure. Oh, and by the way, it's cold out and those batteries don't work so so well. So, you know, there's that. Which people are learning. And look, they they say they have currently 172,000 charging stations. They need 2 million to to reach demand. Tommy, the Biden administration has already spent 8 billion of our dollars at last count on electric city buses to replace the current fleet. There's only one little problem. In Kansas, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania, the buses have burst into flames, or they simply don't work. Philly shelved most of their electric fleet, 
and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration issued a recall. Why is Biden so committed to spending funds on these vehicles that don't work and that nobody wants, apparently? The big green lobby is alive and well, as Jason alluded to, so that's why you're seeing this. But people simply don't want electric vehicles. They don't want to ride on an electric bus. They don't want to drive an electric vehicle. They don't want to charge a vehicle. They don't want to worry in the middle of a snowstorm if they're yeah. going to be stuck somewhere. And let's also talk about rural America. What are you going to do if you come from a state like South Dakota and you want to get to the other side of South Dakota? You know how many charging stations we have in South Dakota? You can probably count them on this yeah. hand, my friend. Yeah. People don't want these vehicles. They're Corny, they're dorky, they don't work. Biden administration in a nutshell right there. Mm. Corny, dorky, doesn't work. I love that. Okay, part of the Biden backtrack, Anita, uh, is that Trump has been telling auto workers that all these EVs are going to eventually be made in China. Mm. He's courting them, even at his rallies. Here's one from last night. Watch this. We got your back. The auto workers are going to support this guy like we did in 16, 20, we're going to do it again in 24. Everybody's going to get out and vote. We're going to vote. 85 million of us are going to vote for this guy. They can't cheat enough to beat him. Anita, can Trump peel off these auto workers despite the Biden endorsement from their union? Well, first of all, if you can find a charging station, it takes a couple hours to charge the car. I just <laughs> yeah. want to say that. But sure, why not? I mean, these are this is base. These are the blue collar workers that he connects with. Of course they can. Just because the union uh, hierarchy puts out this endorsement, the, the workers can vote any way they want. Mm. Yeah. So of we'll course. see what happens. You see the connections Donald Trump is making with black America, with with uh, wor uh, the working Americans. We'll keep our eyes on this. That's the whole story. They're not working. It's undoable. Let me just throw another little piece of information into this conversation for you. In China right now today, they have produced 10 million electric vehicles that they couldn't sell overseas. And they are parked in open areas nose to tail, packed as close as they can get them because they have nothing to do with those cars. They can't sell them. They hid it for months and months that that was happening because it, that, it doesn't sound good worldwide, especially here. They have been pushing hard to get our markets, our auto markets for EVs open so they could send their cars over here. And I don't know for sure, but I could almost bet you that Joe Biden has been in conversations about that. Things just don't work. The first issue that needs to be thought about when you put it in this scenario is this. Leadership makes the choices for all these things that happen, the good things and the bad things. In the case of this administration, probably 80% of them have been bad. Everything, spending money, money getting wasted, money being stolen, things and processes they implement don't work. And none of it has anything to do with factual experience. It's really funny to me. Blue-collar Americans get this, but the real high intellectual white-collar people in the United States don't. And it's because they live in a different world than do the rest of us. 
They have everything they need. They have access to everything. Money, resident, everything about their cars where they live, their vehicles they drive. They have it all put together. They don't need to worry about it. And feeling, uh, paying a few more dollars every year to Uncle Sam, that's okay. That's our not our right, but our obligation as Americans to do it. And we do it because we have to do it. But different people are different. Everybody is not made of the same cloth and have the same character, have the same personalities, the same desires, the same opportunities for anything in life. They're not universal. And no matter how you try to change that, you can't change it from the top. It requires surgery from the very foundation first and then make your way up to the top of each issue and get it resolved by doing the right things and stop doing the wrong things. This administration either doesn't understand that process or they don't care and think they can they can just change the system that because they're who they are, everybody's going to bow and do exactly what they want to do. It doesn't matter if it works or not. Americans can't afford to do that. We can't. We just can't get it done. And so this kind of thinking has got to be reversed at the top. If you look at, just look at the polls that are out there. Let's do this one thing. I haven't, I didn't look at real clear politics poll over the weekend. Let's look at it real quick. Let's see. Latest polls. I just opened this, hadn't looked at it. In Texas, Trump versus Biden. Trump 41, Biden Excuse me, Trump 48, Biden 41. Trump versus Biden versus Kennedy versus West versus Stein. I don't even need that. Look at Ted Cruz. He's up on his uh, on his opponent to go back to Senate again. He's up 14 points. The Texas Republican primary. Trump's up 71 points. President Biden job approval, approved 43%, disapproved 55%, direction of the company, right direction, 30 wrong direction, 64%. let us look at Friday in the South Carolina primary that's around the corner. Trump, 60 Haley, 38 Trump up 22 there. In the Travalgar Group poll, Trump, 63 Haley, 34 Trump's up 29 in the Citadel poll. Trump 64, Haley 31. He's up 33. And it just goes on and on and on and on. Republican presidential nomination, Emerson poll. Trump's up 64 points over Haley. Democrat presidential nomination, Biden 74, Williamson doesn't register, Phillips with 9%. What do these mean? It means Americans are tired of this lifelong politician that has never had a payroll, never signed a payroll check, never had an employee. He doesn't know what he's doing, and he doesn't care what he's doing. 
and it's destroying our nation. That's what's going on. They need, just like they did in 2015 in that campaign, into 2016, and then the election. They need somebody that can run a business, run the United States as a business where everything has a purpose and the purposes are tied to each other. And it's critical that we get the right things and the right people and the right institutions in place so we don't have to deal with this. Let's look around and see who has a history of doing that successfully. Well, by jingos, there's this orange man from New York that has a big house in Florida now, and he's owned a a bunch of companies that he put together that have been very successful, has over 100,000 employees personally, and he's done every kind of business deal that you can imagine. Why don't we give him a shot? Well, Dan, if it was so good, what happened in 20, 20, uh, in 2020? What happened? What happened in 2022? That's another story. We don't even want to get into that today, do we? Let's switch gears. Let's go overseas for a minute. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, he talked with his Chinese and Indian counterparts. Now listen to this. This is the U.S. Secretary of State. He gets on the phone with China and India. They were in a conference together in Munich, Germany last week, Friday and Saturday. Blinken's trying to convince them. Now, Chinese and Indian, he's trying to convince them to reach out to Russian officials about not putting a nuclear weapon in space. Here's what he told them. He told them both, Chinese and Indian counterparts, equivalent of our Secretary of State, that the detonation of a nuclear weapon in space targeting our satellites would also harm Chinese and Indian satellites, leading all global communications to fail. U.S. officials' concerns over Russia's possible use of a nuclear weapon in space follow intelligence revealed to the public last Wednesday that the country had new nuclear capabilities that pose a serious national security threat. So in meetings with several other country officials, Blinken emphasized the pursuit of this capability should be a matter of concern. He will continue raising it in additional meetings at the Munich Security Conference. Now, we just go back a little bit. Russia doing this, putting a nuclear weapon in space, it's in violation of an over 50-year treaty that has so far stopped any proliferation of the weapons in the region. That's according to the New York Times, by the way. Despite and also in addition to telecommunications concerns, Blinken also warned that debris from the possible nuclear explosions would pose a threat to low-Earth orbit navigation, putting further satellite operations at risk. Now, I wanted to tell you about this for one reason, and one reason only. Blinken doing that, (laughs) it proves one thing. He's feckless. He doesn't have a clue. He went and talked to the leaders of India and China, the counterparts to Secretary of State in both of those countries. Now look who he's talking to. He's talking to China. 
as if China's going to do anything to help the United States get uh, a footing on anything. If I was talking to Secretary of State Blinken, I would say, Anthony, you really think that China's going to listen to you? They probably were part of Russia getting that whole structure built and put together. They talked with each other all the time. Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin are best friends now. India's government is swinging rapidly toward China and Russia. Blinken's scared. He doesn't know what to do. He can't figure it out. I get that. Our government is living just like that. And we in the country, we saw four years of everything in our life got better during those four years. Everything. And in that process of doing those and implementing those or changing those, the Trump administration saw all kinds of ancillary benefits that trickled down into the lives of in the homes of American citizens. Every American citizen did better. How could people like Blinken, how could they get in a position in a government where they make arbitrary decisions for things that are very important to the American people? They don't have a clue. Blinken's been in politics forever. Joe Biden's been in politics forever. Pretty much everybody in that administration has. They know government, but they don't know what they're doing governing a guy from the past had a few words a few thoughts about that i think he knew what he was talking about see if you can recognize this why shouldn't we also have a law that says that any time a legislator or a congressman introduces a spending program he has to introduce with it a tax program to pay for it then let the people find out there was a woman from a financial firm that was back at the president's economic council and this woman said that you go to the polls and you ask the people do they want some social service some program that government can give and the people in the polls are apt to read and say that sounds good yeah Mm -hmm. but she says that isn't exactly accurate she says put a hundred dollar bill in each person's hand and then show them the program and say now isn't that a nice program do you want it give me the hundred dollars and she says see what the poll says then and how many people hang on to the $100 instead of the program. In other words, if it's rather hidden and someone doesn't know exactly yeah. where it's going to come they from. They all start, all the government programs start a dollar down and we'll catch you later. A dollar down and we'll catch you later. Sounds uh, kind of like what we have going on coming out of this Washington, D.C. every day. That was Ronald Reagan, of course. Big news about Joe. Big news about the Secret Service. The Secret Service has, as everybody knows, a sacred duty to protect the president. And now, today in Joe Biden's case, that apparently extends to keeping him safe from a public tumble that might sink his re-election hopes. I think it already has, but anyway. So with the White House already very sensitive over questions about public perception about Mr. Geriatric President and his ability to function, the release of special counsel Robert Hur's report that brought additional scrutiny to Biden's memory issues sent his team into panic mode. Today, it's being reported that even after special accommodations were made to prevent Biden from face planning while getting off Air Force One with the use of a short set of stairs, 
a Secret Service agent is being tasked with keeping close tabs on the clumsy leader as an added precaution. According to a New York Times story titled Inside Biden's Protective White House, it details the difficult job that his handlers are facing every day and keeping him together until after November 5th. It showed now that the 81-year-old's difficulty in navigating the stairs has been such an ongoing problem to merit now special attention. Even the way Biden walks to the presidential aircraft is subject to careful management. The president started taking a short flight of stairs directly into the belly of Air Force One rather than that tall stairway wheeled up to a higher point on the plane Why'd they do that? Because he tripped and fell over a sandbag during a commencement ceremony this past summer, and he's tripped on the steps going into Air Force One numerous times. Everybody sees it. Now, there is a Secret Service agent positioned at the bottom of the stairs every time he disembarks. And, of course, the Times was, of course, we're referring to Biden's going down like a ton of bricks while leaving the stage after addressing graduating Air Force cadets out in Colorado Springs last year. The White House official excuse, he stumbled over a sandbag that had been left on stage. But there have been other incidents of the oldster losing his footing, including several times on the steps of Air Force One, also other occasions when he had difficulty navigating the stairs. So seeking to minimize the hazard of a public spill that would bring more embarrassment to Biden, the shorter staircase began to be utilized, drawing ridicule from you-know-who, Republican frontrunner, the orange man, Donald Trump. Crooked Joe can't even walk up the children's stairs in Air Force One. Trump said that in a rally in New Hampshire. The crowd just went crazy laughing their butts off. Now, does that look terrible, Trump asked? saying that Americans want to see their leader be able to walk off the presidential aircraft nice and high and able to wave to everybody without having to worry about face planning. This guy goes through little stairs. We called him the children's stairs, he said. And now he's made a, a common practice because he can't quite make it up or down on his own. Wow. So, news everywhere, news everywhere. For those of you that joined late, I mentioned this at the top of the show. This will be the last TNN Live show that airs this week. But it may not be. So, let me explain. I'm having shoulder surgery. I'm having a shoulder replacement at about noon today. Shortly after this show is over, I head straight to the hospital. And I'm going to be out of um, out of the saddle for probably a minimum of two to three days. And that means because it's my right shoulder, I'm right-handed, everything I do in the studio is right-handed. I've been practicing with the left hand, and I'll be able to do it, but I don't know about how the aftermath of, you know, them tearing your arm and shoulder out and putting in a new one, which is exactly what they're doing, uh, how it's going to impact everything. So I just want to tell you, in all likelihoods, We won't be back. Tomorrow's show, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, won't air. But check every day because if if I'm fine in the morning, we're going to be back tomorrow morning. But if you're going to tune in tomorrow and there's no show, 
I don't want anybody to be upset about it. I put that notice on the top of the uh, Today story that was published at truthnewsnet.org. It'll be on the show again at the top of uh, that story when it goes out tomorrow, but I want everybody to know that. For those of you that have sent well wishes, and since I said this early, I've received a bunch of those. Thank you so much. Just whisper a prayer. Got a good doctor, best doctor that uh, I know of in town that does this shoulder surgery. So we're going to be good. I'm 70 years old. I've been under the knife more than I can even imagine, and I always come out on top. I'm going to come out on top of this, and I'll be uh, rid of some amazing pain that's been with me for 30 stinking years. Can you believe that? You probably heard me tell the story of what happened. I was on the operating table to get this same thing done years ago. And I got up and walked out of the hospital because of an emergency, a family emergency. And I never went back and got it done. But I'm not going to have an emergency today. I'm going to get it done. So whisper a prayer if you would. Some news come out about Burisma. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I thought we had all that covered up. All that finished. No, we don't. Listen to this. Let me get right to the spot in the story I want to tell you about. The DOJ's indictment of that FBI informant who shared information about an alleged bribery scheme involving Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and Burisma's CEO. We talked about it last week. Alexander Smirnov, who is the confidential human source He alleged back in 2020 the Burisma executives paid then-Vice President Joe Biden and Hunter Biden $5 million each to protect Burisma's interests with their political influence. And now the news comes out, at least the indictment of Smirnov says that he allegedly lied to FBI agents. And this came out Thursday in this indictment that was unsealed by special counsel David Weiss and his team. Whether or not Smirnov lied to the FBI as the DOJ alleges, the indictment's timing and its allegations that Smirnov was not a credible witness after all raised questions about how federal investigators have handled that information that he gave. We should know everything about it, shouldn't we? But we didn't even know about it until last week. The indictment says that Smirnov only made contact with Burisma executives one time in 2017. That was after Biden's stint as vice president. They concluded and after the Ukrainian investigator probing Burisma had lost his job. That's according to its text, the indictment. Provided this is the case, it wouldn't have been possible for Smirnov to have talked to the Bidens with Burisma executives in 2015 and 2016, as he told the FBI he did in June of 2020. The FBI recorded the claim Smirnov made in 2020 and one of those Form 1023s, which is a document FBI agents put together to summarize information provided by uh, the DOJ. A FD-1023 form does not make judgment as to whether or not the information provided is accurate. It simply serves as a synopsis of an informant's claim. This FD-1023 only entered the public domain after whistleblowers gave it to Republican Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, 
who then released it to the public on July 20th last year, 2023. FBI agents did not conduct an interview with Smirnov's handler for more than a month after that date. I wonder why. The FBI also did not interview Smirnov about the 1023 until September 27th last year. This is in the indictment. Before whistleblowers leaked the form to Grassley, Republican Texas Senator Ted Cruz accused the FBI of stonewalling efforts to get that file. The DOJ and lots of folks on Capitol Hill ran wild with similarly explosive claims from trusted FBI source Christopher Steele back in 2016. This is Cruz talking. So the lack of curiosity about Smirnoff's claims which stayed hidden and virtually ignored in the FBI's file until the whistleblowers alerted Congress, it's quite a contrast. If the FBI and the Delaware U.S. attorneys had been doing their job, Smirnov would have been re-interviewed and his claims scrutinized much earlier. What do you think is going to come from that? Be honest in your answer. What's going to come of that? Well, the DOJ's tied up in it. The allegation. FBI's tied up in it. When you have somebody that uh, lies in this situation, they do it, and lie to FBI or DOJ, you know that's a lie, and you know that's a criminal act. Well, we got to prosecute this guy, Smirnoff. He broke the law. <laughs> In the Biden administration, that's no big deal. They do it every day. And nobody ever gets sent to prison for doing it. Nobody. Talking with you, not at you. Intelligent Conversation. TNN. The Truth News Network. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running, and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. You know how you can tell when a politician is lying? When their mouth's moving. 
That's so old, it stinks, but it is so true. It stinks too, for that reason as well. So we've got these trials going on. There are trials everywhere. Every state, seems like. Every Democrat group of people, every Democrat politician and uh, Department of Justice of a state or an attorney general, they all want to go after Donald Trump. And they come up with these trumped-up charges, pun intended, trumped-up charges, and they throw them out there, and they're doing it frantically because they can't let the arch man get back in office. So we've got this crazy thing going on down in Atlanta. Fonnie Willis and her boyfriend, Nathan Wade, they've both been now, not charged, but they've been revealed to have lied in testimony, sworn testimony before court. You know, at the end of this thing, it looks more and more every day like Donald Trump's going to walk. We got a lot of other people beside me and media watching this and coming up with their conclusions. Megan Kelly, who I like a lot, she has one of her own. Here's Megan. So my takeaway, if the defense can prove this, <laughs> what we just heard her represent to the court she can prove, then it does appear DA Fonnie Willis and Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade will have misled the court, Wade under oath, at Willis in her capacity as an officer of the court, and misrepresented their inappropriate relationship to cover their own hides. It's all extremely bad, extremely bad for both of them as attorneys, as prosecutors, and as the people pursuing this criminal case. And if proven, they're toast, in my opinion, toast. And they may even face other problems ranging from disbarment to prosecution. It's interesting to me how all these Democrats that are in these various positions across the nation, and George Soros about five years ago was revealed he was going out and giving big campaign contributions to Democrats in the state and local district attorney races. But to qualify for that big money for your campaign, you have to be a hardcore leftist. You've got to be a Democrat. And why did why would Soros do that? Why would he do that? Think about it for a second. Where did he come from? He's from Europe. He's been he went through World War II. He's a hardcore leftist himself, and he, though he has dual citizenship, his European country in the United States, he hates the structure of the American government, and he wants to destroy it from the inside. What's the best way to do that? Go after the law enforcement folks. Get people in there that will push the rule of law and abiding by the U.S. Constitution regarding all federal legal actions is a good step towards tumbling the United States of America. Even in our own little town here, gave $200,000 to an African-American judge who is a really good guy. And he ran for DA, he won the post, and he's done a good job here. But the whole substance, the fiber of how this is all coming to pass is about one thing. It's a bottoms-up thing. If Soros and his minions can obliterate the rule of law where no one is being held accountable, look at what's happening at the southern border. 
That's basically, without question, it's daily thousands of breaking of federal laws. Who are the people that are breaking those laws? Anybody in that process that is not stopping everyone that comes across the border, that's facilitating criminality at the federal level, which in itself is a crime. And then look what they did around the United States. Did away with cash bail. They're not sentencing people to long terms, and many people are just getting off with with a slap of the hand, if that, when they commit major crimes. And the DOJ at the federal level is crumbling nationwide. Law enforcement is crumbling. Big cities are fighting because nobody wants to be a cop anymore because the people in politics above the police forces will not enforce the rule of law. When the cops go out and stop criminals... They take them in like they always have. And before the cops can finish their report and get back out on the street, the thug comes out and is released with no bail, like he's going to show back up. Lawlessness is just like not having laws. And if you don't have laws, and if you don't have borders, you don't have a country. Democrats bear the soul responsibility for this whole process. There's no other, no other way, no other explanation. So back to the trials going on, there's another big one. You heard about it last week, that judge in New York on a civil trial case. He popped President Biden and his sons for a $350 million fine. And, of course, it's going to be appealed. Alina Haba, she's a sharp attorney. She's representing former President Donald Trump in this case up there. After this verdict from the court, she came out and kind of laid it out there. What happened, why, and what happens next? This is where we are. And watching this trial today, watching what was happening at that hearing they're all the same. I have to be honest with you. I've seen it time and time again now. I've, I've had the pleasure of working for the president for, for the past few years. And I can tell you, this is all corrupt. It is all absolutely election interference. There is no way, as you point out, that the Stormy case would come about now in the middle of an election, in the middle against the leading candidate. And you know who that was brought from? Michael Cohen, real reliable source we have there. So the desperation is real. The Trump derangement syndrome is real. And it is pathetic and obvious. And now we're seeing money laundering and money funneling coming through. You can't make it up. They're going to the Biden administration. They're taking visits to the White House. They're coordinating with other DAs and AGs. You do know that. Wade, the attorney, the prosecutor that Fannie Willis hired to uh, head this investigation into the alleged issues of election fraud committed or at least initiated or being a part of election fraud on January 6th when that thing happened up there. Um, they're in deep, deep trouble themselves. But the whole reason they are is because they went and met with twice. They went to the White House before the indictment against Trump was ever put out for this Atlanta case. Why would they go to the White House? You know why. Joe Biden is at the foot of every bit of this prosecution against Donald Trump. Just like he and Obama were, Back in 2016, when Trump beat Hillary Clinton, 
It's all about control. It's all about fraud and manipulation of the systems of the United States of America. And the American people are learning more and more and more. I listened overnight. I couldn't sleep. I listened. Tucker Carlson did a show with a guy, and I can't remember his name. I don't have it in front of me. Let me me see if I can look it up real quick. This guy is from the federal government in the past, but he is the intelligence online guru for the process of implementing this system that we have suspected was being implemented for years. And that is a process where eventually the government takes over everything. I mean everything. Uh, the, The guy's name is not on it. Let me send you to this. I want you to go listen to this. And you might you might have to do it in segments. It was on Tucker Carlson's show February 16th. And go to rumble.com, rumble.com, and go to Tucker Carlson. It'll come up. And it's the show that aired February 16th, last Friday. You need to see it. When you do, when you finish, you'll understand what's really going on behind the scenes. You for a year have heard far-right conservatives tell us that there's going to be a one-world government push. It's going to happen. The U.S. government is going to take over every part of government, take it away from the people. People will have no say-so in everything. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. That's what we told everybody they were for years and years, but it looks like now They were on the right track. Watch that video with Tucker Carlson and that expert talking about how it began. You know how it began? It began through the weaponization of social media and legacy media outlets. And it was a process that was purposely planned, created, and implemented. And it all began when social media first came out. What was the first social media outlet to come out? First, it was Facebook. Second, it was Google. Where did all that come from? It came from research and development of processes in our government, the CIA and the FBI. They created all of that. Google was created by our government, the American people. You know, remember, we own that. They created different plans and platforms within them to be able to manipulate and use data that comes through social media, online services, and also government creating stuff behind the scenes online and using it to take control surreptitiously over a period of time. And evidence... There's evidence that come out, and it's very complicated. But if you'll listen to this one video with Tucker Carlson and that that expert, you'll understand, maybe for the first time, you'll understand this is a battle that had started a long time ago. A long time ago. And we're just now finding out about it. We thought, we expected, we were told and warned. 
but now it really is going on. We're watching this closely through the next weeks and months. We'll be telling you more about it. There'll be hearings, I'm sure, that come to Capitol Hill to discuss all this stuff. We're on top of it for you. But let's look at something that will explain a little bit more. A bunch of these billionaires, they've joined together to fuel the war against American abundant energy. It's been an open secret for years now. Big foundations that are funded by, in large part, those billionaire families like the Gates, the Gettys, and the Rockefeller. Those clans have played a big role in funding various climate alarmist campaigns to tackle and vilify so-called fossil fuels. Lesser known until recently is the role these billionaire foundations are playing in convincing various government entities to go down the same path. A report from Fox this week revealed that several billionaire interests led by the Rockefeller Family Fund put pressure on the New York Attorney General's office during 2015 to target ExxonMobil with a subpoena for records relating to an investigation into the company's early research related to global warming. A series of leaked emails between Lee Wasserman, a longtime director, and then New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman's office first pitched this idea in early 2015. Schneiderman responded to the pressure, sending an initial subpoena to ExxonMobil in November of 2015. That's how far back this started. Let me look down here. The RFFs, Rockefeller Family Fund, their involvement in this push to pursue ExxonMobil, it extended into influencing and paying for media coverage. You got media, you've got government, you've got billionaires. You got everything you need for the perfect storm, right? In September of 15, Inside Climate News published the first in a series of articles under what it called its Exxon New series. The Rockefeller Foundation funded that effort through multi-million dollar grants to ICN and its parents, Lost Light Projects. In October that same year, Rockefeller grants were also behind a series of articles jointly published by the Los Angeles Times and the Columbia School of Journalism. We've spent years tracking the nexus between left-wing environmental groups and their billionaire funders. This once again proves the connection between the financial, ideological, and political influences on the widespread legal attacks on the American energy industry. That's from Tom Pyle, president of the Institute for Energy Research. It's clear that anti-oil sentiment in this country is being driven by this network of billionaires, activists, politicians who show little or no concern for how their campaigns hurt everyday Americans. So what's the strategy behind all this? Well, that strategy behind the New York AG's investigation it evolved out of a meeting of climate activist organizations held in La Jolla, California, all the way back to 2012. There, a playbook was put together to attack the oil and gas industry using the same tactics that had been deployed against the tobacco industry back in the 1980s. You remember that that involved tens of billions of dollars in settlement money, the tobacco thing. 
This plan's success hinged on identifying and co-opting a sympathetic state attorney general who's willing to play the lead role in kicking off what would become an ongoing series of lawsuits targeting the industry. At that time, it was tobacco. Now it's oil and gas. The activist ultimately landed on Schneiderman as their most likely and most willing partner. So when he was forced to resign because of a personal scandal, his successor is, drumroll, Letitia James, New York Attorney General. She eagerly stepped up to take that torch and run with it. But the case was thrown out of court by the New York State Supreme Court, which characterized its claims as hyperbolic. The Rockefeller Foundation was in the news earlier this month. On February 8, Wall Street Journal reported it and other left-wing billionaire interests, including Michael Bloomberg, by the way, were the ones that put pressure on the Biden White House to implement its January pause on the permitting of proposed new liquefied national uh, natural gas export facilities. They cited sources, here we go again, familiar with the effort, the Wall Street Journal writers the detail of billionaire-backed campaign that began four years ago to co-opt and organize local community activist groups to oppose this new LNG export capacity, even as U.S. LNG became such a crucial supply source for us and our allies in Europe in the wake of Russia's war on Ukraine. And then those activists worked together to buttonhole the administration officials at conferences and meetings around the world, pressuring them to freeze this process based on flimsy, hyperbolic climate alarm arguments similar to those behind the Exxon Mobil case. They got our attention, one identified White House official said. Well, yes, they did. But what's the end result of this? Well, while they're promoting using lofty propaganda that shows these campaigns as efforts to curb the malleable concept of climate change, what these and other efforts by the Rockefeller Foundation and their billionaire collaborators invariably boil down is this, increasing the cost of energy for the masses, diminishing U.S. security and energy, and making our country increasingly reliable to China. Eventually, the only reasonable conclusion to make is that these outcomes are, in fact, the plan. That is going on, my friends. It is happening as we sit here this morning and weigh into this. I told you at the top of the show, things have been too quiet for the last few weeks. There's always something going on. But when they wave that right hand in our face and say, look here, look here, here's what's happening, look here, you can bet every time what is really going on is in the other hand behind their backs that they don't want us to see. That, my friends, is where we live right now, today. We're going to stay on top of it, and we want you to as well. Biden has dipped into that federal health program, Medicaid, you're not going to believe what the Biden administration is doing. And they're already doing it. That's next. Money with geckos. So Cut it. What? What did I say? 
I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Oh, sorry. Here what? we go, from the top, and action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko, so... Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh, for over 75 years. <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. <clears throat> For over 70. <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico, saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me, don't look at me. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize. Your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN. Going into the break, I told you, Joe Biden is um, messing with something that he probably shouldn't be messing with, but he's president of the United States, and the feds pay half of Medicaid cost for all the patients that uh, are members of Medicaid that use that program for their health care. But he's dipping into it for something that isn't part of the plan. And I don't think at this point, legally, he can do it. This is a bad idea to say we're going to take Medicaid dollars and pay for housing, a whole new other giveaway under Joe Biden. Well, and, and I'm just reading from the plan. The rental assistance will come in several forms, including a one-time payment to help cover a security deposit or for something else. What could possibly go wrong with that? You give, you give a one-time security payment to somebody who's been living on the streets, spending money on drugs, et cetera. I, the, the main thing that bothers me, though, is the whole expansion of the idea of turning America into a welfare state. Yes. That's absolutely the opposite of what we are. America as, as a country of self-reliant individuals who, who, who's the American dream or part of it anyway is owning your own business so that you can use your self-reliance to create something new, create a new business. It's going exactly, we are becoming a welfare state in which we owe the government for everything. That means we own nothing well, if we owe them for everything. We're slaves of the state. We're slaves of the state. They own everything. We've been screaming this for years. They used to try to hide it. Now they don't ever even think about it. It's like, okay, no big deal, right? That's what we're going to do. They don't care what you or I think about it anymore. All they do and all they care about is what they want. And anything they do, the first thing they look at is how is it going to impact them. If it impacts them in a way they don't want to do it, hey, they won't do it. If it impacts us, 
in a negative way, but it's good for them, hey, they're going to go right ahead and do it. Not costing them a dime, is it? So did you hear about up in Michigan, a restaurant that got a really, really big tip? A $10,000 tip from a customer. The waitress's name is Lindsay Boyd, and she lost her job one week after this tipping incident. The man who ate lunch and she served at the Mason Jar Cafe in Benton Harbor after going to a funeral on February 5th added a lofty tip to his $32.43 bill. $10,000. The guy's a middle-aged customer. He reportedly wore a dark suit, used an American Express card, he allegedly intended the money to be divided among the wait staff in the restaurant to honor the restaurant's deceased manager, Tim Sweeney. The employees posed with the receipt, blurring out the generous man's name in a picture posted on social media. The fired server who posted the photo explained in a now-deleted Facebook post that drama ensued after the money was divided, the outlet reported In an attempt to defuse the situation and resolve any rumors, things got even worse. The restaurant's managers told the waitress to take a mental health day off, both Sunday and Monday. The employee claimed she was told that she was fired Tuesday over the phone after texting management the day prior whether she was being urged in a professional way not to come back. One week... I'm such an amazing, hardworking employee, awesome mother. Couldn't have happened to a better person. Now, I have no job for the first time since I was 15 years old. She wrote on Facebook before deleting that. Owners of the Mason Jar Cafe took a Facebook to clarify the claim made by the employee about her firing, stating that the waitress's termination was not a decision made lightly or hastily. We do truly care about our staff, the restaurant's owner said. We've had the same crew for five to six years. We have college girls that come home every summer and have been for four years now. We take our staff up north at the end of every summer season. We give donations for college funds for them. We kept them employed through COVID. We do everything in our power not to lose staff. Well, This girl gets a $10,000 tip, and she's the one that said it was meant to spread to everybody in the restaurant. And because that happened, she gets fired. I don't know about you, (laughs) but there is something going on there that's not as it is supposed to appear. That's Michigan. Up in New York, A record number of New York's finest have been injured on the job in the last year or so. Violent crime continues to plague the Big Apple. No end to it in sight. No plans to stop it in sight. According to a review of department data by the New York Post, a total of 1,286 NYPD officers were injured in battles with suspects over just the last quarter of 2023 brings the final annual tally to a record 5,363 injured cops. The number of cops hurt by suspects went up 
2022, when 4,724 uniformed officers suffered injuries and attacks. That compares to 3,933 in 2021. The 5,363 attacks in 2023, 13% higher than the previous year. Here's what the Post had to say. I'm quoting the New York Post. The 40th Precinct in Mont Haven in the Bronx was the most dangerous battleground where 135 cops were injured during struggles with lawbreakers. Next, with 129 injuries, the 75th Precinct in Brooklyn, which covers East New York and Cypress Hills. The 46th Precinct, 128 injuries. 44th, 126. 47th, 117, all in the Bronx, rounded out the top five most dangerous areas for the city's finest. No real surprises here. All very busy commands where perps are emboldened to fight, one law enforcement source said. Experts attribute the terrible trend to radical protest, an influx of criminal migrants, bail reform, anti-cop rhetoric, and soft-on-crime prosecutors. Assaults on NYPD officers have reached a full-blown epidemic, according to Police Benevolent Association President Patrick Hendry. Even the simplest summons are turned into all-out brawls, he said. Our justice system needs to send a clear message. Once and for all, is your assault a police officer, you will stay in jail. Lawlessness, it was seeded purposely. Remember what happened after George Floyd was killed or died up in Minneapolis? Screams and cries went across the nation. Cancel the cops. Get rid of the police forces. And even though most places did not heed that call, that message resonated with the underbelly of the United States of American people. And they took that as a sign to, well, it's okay for me to go commit this crime because the cops owe us the opportunity. They vote us for a long time. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't aspire to believe in it. But that's just what they're doing and why they're doing it. If it doesn't stop our nation, quoting Megan Kelly this morning, Our nation is toast. I'm not ready for that to happen. How about you? Well, this is the ending for the next few days of TNN Live. We'll be back. Check in every day and you'll see. Till then, have a great day today. My biggest weakness I should